You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, oh, we're on. Hey, Jeff Carr. I'm Lucas Smith. This is Locked On Reds, Locked On Cardinal Crossover, and I'm going to have some fun today. I don't know if Jeff is going to have as much fun, but it's going to be a good time no matter what. Jeff, how are you doing today? Lucas, um, doing good personally. Things uh, found some good uh, soda pop at the uh, grocery store, and uh, gonna have some meatloaf later. And I think we got some nice uh, craft beer to sip on uh, later. Uh, but baseball wise, no, uh, that that wasn't nice. I had a great time last night watching the game. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm kind of a little overwhelmed a little bit with school, starting to get in the routine of everything, but. Baseball-wise, I'm good. Cardinals have a win against a playoff team, against an above 500 team, which is not something that we, we've talked about a lot on Locked On Cardinals. And we talked about that a little bit on yesterday's crossover as well. Uh, so before we get into it, just letting everybody listening know, uh, we are brought to you today in part by Locked On MLB. If you don't know what a walking baseball encyclopedia is, listen to one episode of Locked On MLB and Sully is, is that, is a walking baseball encyclopedia. Uh, but on today's show, we're going to kind of go through the game one last night, talk about game two tonight, as well as the rest of the series and season for both these teams that we're finishing up with some fan questions, as well as a question from our very own Jeff Carr. But Jeff, I'm going to start with you as the, the caption reads on the YouTube channel, if you guys are watching it on there, Reds just could not touch John Lester last night. The most surprising thing for me was when Mike Schilt came out in the seventh inning and took John Lester out. I mean, he hadn't thrown that many pitches. He's a guy who all year long has thrown over 100 pitches, and I I realized it was more in the context of a lot of his innings were just like 20-plus pitches, so he just got up really high. But I kind of figured if he's a wily vet like he is, just let him keep going. And I kind of joked on Twitter, like I'd asked if he'd have pitched the rest of the series because the Reds had no idea what to do with him. They were swinging like they were expecting something straight and 95 plus coming at him. And John Lester hasn't thrown anything like that in about 10 years. So not really sure what scouting report they were rolling on. Maybe the Red Sox, John Lester. Um <laughs> Maybe they forgot to update. Uh, maybe they were running off of like, you know, some kind of triple play baseball from back in the day. They had played that video game to warm up for the game. I don't know what that was because even Joey Votto was looking confounded at the plate. And Joey Votto's faced John Lester like a ton in his career in different stages. He was swinging at pitches that were off the plate. You saw that cutter. It was moving. It was like 83 miles an hour, and they were swinging through it constantly. They were either super early on it or they waited too long, and then by the time they had swung, the pitch had already broken away from their swing plane. So it was just a phenomenal night for him. And this whole idea that this uh, this Reds offense is now trying to win games by not hitting, it's really not going to help us. Uh 13 no. games in a row they've had less than double digit hits and the third game in a row that they've only scored one run and i don't know about the cardinals but the reds have won one game this year when they score one run they beat the brewers one to nothing back in june so it's not really something that's going to help them at all uh, down the stretch and uh yeah i was really frustrated watching that game because i was just like it's john lester come <laughs> on he's 90 hit him <laughs> Yeah, I posted on the Locked On Cardinals Instagram page of the you know the final line, and I said somebody forgot to tell John Lester it wasn't 2013, or John Lester picked <laughs> like it was 2013 or something. And then my brother commented on it, saying, "Put an asterisk, 2016 postseason, John Lester." I don't think yeah. I you know however we want to look at it, 
John Lester turned back the clock last night. And what, one thing that I really noticed a lot was the curveball. And when I really noticed it was late in the game, uh, probably I think it was the sixth inning before he came out, Castellano swung at a 58-foot curveball and then at bat. <laughs> and I was kind of like, how is this happening? And then I, in that moment, I was like, wow, this is a special start. He was the first pitcher over 37 years old since 2002 for the Cardinals to retire. I think it was 16 straight batters in Florida, the Elias Sports Grill. And believe it. Th- that's impressive no matter what, you know, whether you're 27 or 37. And Le- Lester gave the Cardinals a start that they desperately needed. They've had bullpen woes because their bullpen has been overused so much. Alex Reyes is no longer the closer, in my opinion. I don't know if that's been, I don't, that hasn't been officially stated, but we saw it last night. He didn't come in to close. You know, and he, he has come into close uh, after Daisy has blown saves before. But I think the kind of that the straw has been broken there, that he's not the closer. So Lester needed to give them a strong start. He needed to give them five, six innings. He goes six and a third. And I think I, I was shocked, especially once you let John Lester hit for himself. I think <laughs> yeah. that why would and you he got to hit? Out? Right. And, and I, he, I, I and understand it. Like, you, you know, you give him one base runner. But my thing is because you let him hit the inning before, he's got to go that full inning or a run. In, in my opinion, yeah. you know, and, and it ended up working out because TJ McFarland did a nice job, um, got out of a base loaded jam. Votto made a, I don't know if you say base running blunder, but he, he was front <laughs> out of the plate. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the, the Cardinals needed a long start from John Lester, and they got it, and it sets up them, it sets them up well for the rest of the series. Because as we talked about yesterday, I thought Luis Castillo was the starter that I feared most, and he didn't pitch all that terrible yesterday. One bad pitch in the first inning kind of did him in. Yeah. And that's all they needed. That all they needed was Goldschmidt's Gold Schmidt's swing. Okay, should probably watch well, here, that one. Unco- what, what we'll call him Louis Goldie Castillo the rest. Overall, what did you think of Castillo overall, other than that home run? I thought he was phenomenal. I mean, he went a stretch after allowing those two quick runs where he retired a bunch in a row. He allowed a walk in between there, but he had, I think it was like five of seven outs after that home run were strikeouts. He he found whatever it is he didn't have in those first two at-bats because you saw it with Tommy Edmond too. He didn't really have a lot of command of his fastball. It was kind of all over the place. And then it was as if the home run shocked him back into reality, and he's like, all right, here we go. We're good. And I love the way that he battled back. And that third run was just the most ridiculous thing. When I saw it bounce on the grass, I was saying words. It's a good thing I was in a soundproof studio so nobody else could hear me. But uh, it got to the point, too, I, I was just like, uh, there's like a couple other things here that if they happen, I'm, I'm just going to I'm just going to leave. But um <laughs> And before we get into the craziness of that that stupid play, the base running play, uh, I think when I was watching that, I, I couldn't believe there were so many guys that were swinging at that curveball that was falling off the table. It made me wonder, and I couldn't really tell this to be sure, and there's no numbers that would back this up or anything, but I almost wonder if he had a very similar spin from his cutter and his curveball. And I didn't see any sort of pitching ninja overlay graphic that he typically does with different things like that but I would have loved to have seen because I felt like whenever hitters were swinging at the cutter they really weren't sure what they were getting and then when they swung at swung at the curveball they looked so foolish because it was like about a foot and a half below where their swing was going it was phenomenal to see that performance from Lester it really was I think you know as frustrating as it was I for for you, anyways, I, I'm a, I'm always one to appreciate good pitching. Uh, I was a mm-hmm. pitcher in high school. Whenever I wasn't keeping score or sitting on the bench, I was pitching. So I've always loved a good pitching matchup, and especially a guy like John Lester, cancer survivor. Nothing but nice things heard from him from over the years. I think that any right. baseball fan can appreciate that. Uh, but let's get into a couple base running plays because one of them was Dylan Carlson um, going to third base 
which was a successful yes. base running move, which I, you know, the next hit was a base hit. So you think, well, he might have scored anyways, but that ensured the run. And the other one that you're referencing, Joey Votto, what did you see on that play? From where that play were, was it. That play was interesting because I almost wonder if they had the sign for the contact play on very weird play in that instance when you're you're struggling to get base runners like if you've got base runners all day but you're having trouble getting them over and getting them in I understand the contact play but that was really the first real big threat and when you look at the game in hindsight the only real threat that the Reds posed all night and they decided to act as if there were already two outs. They had a run on contact going. And even when you watch Joey, as soon as contact's made, he sees that it's a weak grounder to third base. So he kind of holds up a little bit. He's not running straight hard down the third base line. And he kind of checks up before he goes. I, I, I think even if he is running hard on contact, he still gets thrown out by a mile. Yeah, But I just think that that was just the weirdest call at that time. So I don't really fault Joey a whole bunch. There. I might give him a little bit of fault for checking up. But at the end of the day, it was a called play for run on contact. Um, but, you know, I, I like to spin things positively as much as possible. <laughs> I think really what was yeah. happening was Joey just wanted a Eugenio Suarez to feel like, uh, you know, somebody on first base again because he got to stand on first base after that <laughs> since it was a fielder's choice. I mean, this poor dude had – if there was one game where he could get right, it was against John Lester because in his career, he has a three seventy batting average against him. He's got like six home runs in his career. He just murders pitches that John Lester throws. He murders left handed in last year. Yeah. Well, uh, this year, it, this year's been so weird for him in so many different right. ways. Actually, coming into the game against lefties as a whole, he's he was batting a buck twenty nine, mm-hmm. three hits or no, no, no sorry, thirteen hits. In 101 at bats, just I, I, I'm done. I'm done seeing Gino getting at bat. Like I want him to get like two at bats a week, and then right. the rest of the time, smile and wave on the bench. But yeah, overall, that that was a point where it was like, I hate to call a game before it's over, but whenever Joey got thrown out going to third, and then Naquin strikes out looking to end that inning directly yeah. after that, and I was just like, all right, I don't think we're winning this one, guys. No, I had an old friend of mine. Uh, he's, he's a basketball coach, and he, he he always would talk about how in any sport, there's usually a play or two that you can look back on and say that's where the game was lost. And again, in the moment, it might not feel that way because you've still got two innings to go. The Cardinal bullpen has been shaky. But looking back on it, that's where the game was lost. or it, yep. That was a huge tipping point towards the Cardinal direction. Before we finish this up, I'll give my thoughts on it. Again, hindsight is twenty twenty, but you have to know who's playing third base. You have to know that Nolan Arenado is playing third base. And Nolan Arenado is going to make that play nine and a half times out of ten. So it was weak. It was at third base, which two rules of thumb, if it's hit first, third, or a pitcher, you're staying put. But again, contact yeah. play into that. But knowing that uh, Nolan Arenado is standing at third base, to me, would, would suggest a little bit more um, a little bit more caution in, in, in that instance. But and not only that, but I mean, as, as much as I love Joey Votto, he's the worst base runner on the team. Like this wasn't Jonathan <laughs> yeah. India. This wasn't the Castellanos. This was Joey Votto. The contact play should not have been on. That you was mean a dumb Jonathan call. India, the, the second runner up for rookie of the year. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that, a whole that's nother cool. segment. We'll do that another time. Uh, before we get into game two and the rest of the series and season, I'm going to take a br- quick break. Tell you guys about the wonderful people at bet online. 
Football season is just around the corner. College football is already back. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contest info. Two big things that are coming on the BetOnline uh, props. The online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at BetOnline. And Jeff, for new customers, do they get a bonus when they sign up for this thing? You get a crazy bonus, Lucas. When you go to betonline.ag and set up your profile, type in the promo code Locked On, and you will get double your money. We used to talk about 50%. Now it's even more oh, than man. that. It's 100% of 50%. Now it's 100%. Wait, no. I just time 100%. My... That's all I know. 100% yes, more it's money. 100%. Time my brain into a mental pretzel there. That was bad. <laughs> but yes, 100% bonus on whatever you deposit. Got one more promo code for you. That's NFL100, and that is for the opening day super promo. When you make a bet on Thursday, September 9th, season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys, if you lose and your wager your wager will be refunded up to $25 with the promo code NFL100. So from football, baseball, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Game two tonight between the Reds and Cardinals should be another fun one because it's always a fun one between the Reds and Cardinals. Um, this series could, could be a key series. It is a key series. Reds and Cardinals only play one other time throughout the rest of this season. You got Sonny Gray going for the Reds. We talked about him a little bit yesterday. What do the Reds need to do as a team, in your opinion, Jeff, for the rest of not only tonight but tomorrow as well to come back and win this series? They gotta have some good at bats. I I don't know if it's fatigue or 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 what the general feeling was yesterday, but everybody looked looked like they were coming up there hacking. They wanted quick at bats and they wanted it to be all right. I'm either getting a hit real quick or we're just heading right back to the bench, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, whenever John Lester was in there, I think the Reds' average seen like less than four pitches. I think it was like three point eight pitches per at bat. That's not going to get the job done against anybody. That's going to make any pitcher feel really good about themselves, no matter who they are, no matter how old they are, no matter if they just started or if they uh, have been pitching for 20 years. So they have got to have some better at-bats against Miles Michaelis. And while he is a right-hander, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be like hitting the ball every which way. They do have almost a 260 batting average as a team against right-handed pitchers and like a 220 or less than that against lefties but they have been striking out at a very high rate recently and i i don't really i had a clip that i i released yesterday on the youtube channel talking about how the reds need to like give free pizza to people if they have more than 11 strikeouts by their lineup but i i just i need to see some more quality of bats jonathan india who was really good at working the count for much of this season over the last like week or so has been just kind of hacking I mean, you've seen some Joey Votto all season long has been talking about being more dangerous, swinging at more pitches. He's not been making contact lately. He's in a bit of a slump. Uh, you're talking about huge slumps from guys that are filling in for Jesse Winker, like Aristides Aquino. And I want to see more from Max Schrock, which we might see him in the lineup tonight against a righty. He could be starting in left field. Um, yeah, former Cardinal. He's 
he's been kind of cool. And every time he hits a home run, I always tweet out shocked. I love that. That's, that's perfect <laughs> for me. And hopefully seeing Moose uh, pinch hit last night, maybe he'll be back in the lineup. But the long at-bats are key. They've gotten great pitching performances over the last week, and they've wasted a great majority of them. And now on a three-game losing streak with Fernando Tatis looking like he's going to once again regain hold of that MVP award and the, and the Padres are playing the Diamondbacks, the Reds got to get the winning. Because if they don't, the Padres are going to take that second wild card spot right back. I saw, and real quick too, I, I'm sorry I'm talking so much, but I saw a sobering statistic. The Padres, going into last night, have w- lost 14 of their last 16 games. And since they won last night, they're a half game out of the second wild card spot. That's not getting the job done if you're the Reds. I mean, it's nice no. to have that spot, but you gotta no. you got to create separation when it's given to you. I think it's the same. You know, Cardinals aren't necessarily that that bad of, of a stretch, but at the same time, it feels like whenever the Cardinals lose, the Reds lose, and the Padres lose, which is great. You're maintaining ground, but when the other teams lose, you got to take advantage of it. You know, especially in the era of, of the wild card, one game is going to be make or break between that second spot or or out. And we've we've seen second second place wild card teams go on and go on incredible runs. 2014 Giants come to mind. Was that 12 or four? I think it was 14. Uh, 12 or 14, one of those Giants teams was a second wild card team that beat the Mets. But it, it comes down to for, for the Cardinals, the exact same thing that happened yesterday needs to happen. The pitchers need to go six, seven innings, and the bullpen cannot be overused. Just can't be. because And again, it, it's September, much easier said than done, right? And maybe the Cardinals do right. end up calling up some bullpen arms from the minor leagues to help that out just a little bit when rosters expand. But we, we, we saw the recipe for success yesterday. And it's easy for me to sit here and say, do that again. I'm not getting paid millions of dollars to do it and everything of that nature, but right. it, it's, it's a simple formula. Cardinals get quality starts from their starters. They win. And miles Michaelis needs to prove that tonight. That that's the next step in his development. I talked about that with you yesterday. He needs to go out there and, and for, for, you know, dominate might be too much of a pressure word, but he needs to go out there and, and impress. It can't be one of those, Oh, this was a nice, a nice step in the right direction. He needs to be in that right direction tonight. And if he's right, if he's throwing strikes and if he's around the zone and pinpoint location, which is what we saw from him when he first burst onto the scene, great. That's going to be huge for him. Defense is going to be key as well because the defense for him is going to help him out because he, he isn't typically a huge strikeout guy. We're going to see some defense being played tonight, in my opinion. I don't think that the Reds – and the Reds, while they are, like you mentioned, a strikeout team, but the, the Miles Michaelis is not necessarily a strikeout pitcher. So I think he's going to be relying on contact, and it's going to be the Cardinals' strong defense that's going to come into play tonight if they want to get the win um, in tonight. And then in terms of, of tomorrow as well, same formula. But I want to ask you about the rest of the season because we are in the home stretch. We are in 12 hours after this recording. We're going to be out of the dog days of August and into the September stretch run. What does the Reds' schedule look like in September – how are you feeling about it? And what are you looking forward to in the next month? Honestly, it's pretty favorable. And that's the one thing that Reds fans are kind of clinging to. Every time the Reds lose, we look at it and we're like, all right, September is doable. Because once we flip over, we we finish this series on Wednesday, on September 1st. There's an off day, September 2nd. Then you've got the Tigers. Then you're looking at the Pirates. And you're looking at some winnable series between all them. Really, the only tough series that they've got in the month of September is they have a home series against the Dodgers, a weekend series against them. Other than that, they're playing teams that really aren't in the playoff race. They've got a series against Washington. There's some other teams in there besides the Cardinals that are supposedly winning 
series, something that the Reds just need to just take a bite out of. Now, I don't know if that is why here recently it seems like they and I, and I always hate I always hesitate to say this because you you usually say it whenever your team is losing. You don't say it when they're winning, but they kind of look a little lethargic here recently. They they look like I mean, it's three games in a row. I mentioned that they only scored one run, but it's also three games in a row that the opposing team has scored every run that they need in the first at bat that they've had. And that's rough because when you're sitting there for eight innings and they don't do anything, a team that early on in the season was magnificent at coming back, you, you start to wonder, is fatigue setting in for a team that, yeah, they made that run in September last year, but they only played for two months. This has been the first real time since 2013 that this team has played any kind of meaningful baseball whatsoever after having already played five months of baseball. So what does that look like down the stretch? The schedule's nice, but there's still some question marks because you got a lot of guys that are slumping. Yeah, the exact answer you just said, but but flip it. The Cardinals have a daunting September schedule. And the thing about the August schedule, I'm looking over here because I've got my fancy Cardinal calendar. The Cardinals played the Royals, or they started out one game against the Twins. They got swept against the Braves. They had the Royals, Pirates, Royals, Brewers, Pirates, Tigers, Pirates, and now two games with the Reds. It's a very favorable August schedule. And since the Milwaukee series, they have not lived up to the expectation. They simply haven't. They, they, they split the series with Detroit. They split the series with Pittsburgh in and, and disappointing fashion. That's why I talk about this series as being a key series for so many reasons. But also it's going to prove, can the Cardinals beat an above 500 team? Can they win a series against a team that is going to be in the play, or that, that is a playoff team as of right now? I know you want me to knock on wood, so I'll go ahead and do that for you. But here, here are the series the Cardinals have in September. They've got one game against the Reds, as you mentioned on the first, to finish out this series. Three of games at Milwaukee. Four games at home against the Dodgers. Three games at home against the Reds. Three games against the Mets. And who knows, maybe the fans will be booing. Maybe Biles will be booing. I don't know. And they, <laughs> they, they host the Padres, which are playoff team, right? Or, you know, playoff contention. Four games at Milwaukee. Four against the Cubs. Who cares? And then three at home against the Brewers. As again, so that, that's a pretty daunting September schedule. And that, that's, to me, why the Cardinals need to make up games right here, right now, and, and take advantage of this series against the Reds. And again, not to to you know, say that this Red Series is an easy one, but they do need to, to prove that they can actually be successful in a, in a schedule like that because it's not going to be easy for the Cardinals. And to, to the other point for the Reds, I think that you know maybe we take advantage of, the, of looking at, at, at an easy schedule because there are a lot of teams right now that can play spoiler. You think the Pirates are yes. going to play for some NL Central pride? You think the Tigers are going to play for some AL Central pride? The Washington Nationals won a World Series championship two years ago. I'm sure they've still got some pride in them and whatnot. But I think we, we still could see some spoilers going into the, the, to this final stretch. But it's going to go ahead and do it for our second segment here. And the third segment is going to be a fun one, Jeff, because we got some questions from fans that responded on Twitter and on Instagram, and as well as, Jeff, you have a fun and exciting question to round out the show. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But first, does this sound familiar to you guys? Or let me ask you, Jeff, does it sound familiar to you? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend login for the good stuff. Does that sound familiar? It's like the exact story I was just thinking in my mind because I'm I'm trying to think about this show that I want to go stream after we're done talking and I gotta remember that login. 
Well, I want to give you an easy, easy solution to get all the entertainment you love without that hassle and finally get your TV life together. And that's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. You know what this means, Jeff? This means no more juggling different remotes. No need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no more annual contracts. You can get rid of the clutter, get rid of the confusion, and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That is directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content does vary by package. This show is a decent company, too. They are a decent company. This show is also brought to you in part today by rockauto.com. I don't know about you, Jeff, but with all the numbers, increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible for me to get to my local Gen Auto Parts store and get all the parts that I need. You You running into this problem as well? Yeah, I mean, you you go down to the store and you talk to the guy and you're like, hey, I need this thing because my car's doing this and it's going. <coughs> <coughs> and yeah, do you got that? And then maybe he looks it up on the computer. And the last time I was down there, I'm like, you know what? He's looking it up on a computer. Why don't I do that? Because I have a computer. Like, shouldn't I be able to do that? And I know the exact way to do it, Lucas. How's that, Jeff? Why don't you do something about this one? is rockauto.com. They've got all the parts that my car would ever need. And I'm telling you anything. If you're looking for a brake light, if you're looking for a brake pad, if you don't know what a brake light or a brake pad is, they can help you out with that. Or if you want to reupholster your seats, you need something new there to sit on and get your tush comfy, you can do that at rockauto.com. And if you're talking about your everyday driver, whether it's a Honda Civic or you want to restore a classic car, like say, I don't know, a Chevelle or something like that, they've got parts for you at rockauto.com. And when you go there, Lucas, I think there's something that they want uh, us to type in. Be sure you're right. Locked on and never had you hear about us, Fox, so they know that we sent you. Go explore that easy-to-use website today. Amazing selection, reliably low prices for everyone, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. A wonderful website indeed. So as the YouTube graphic says, it is question time. It was posted uh, on my Twitter at LJ Fastball, as you can see there, as well as the show's Instagram at LO underscore Cardinals. We're going to start with a Twitter question. This one comes from at HLandstrom01 on Twitter. Uh, Which team missing the playoffs is a bigger disappointment? I think this is a fascinating question, and I'm going to say the Reds, and here's why. The Cardinals would be a huge disappointment, don't get me wrong, so many different implications. People want the manager fired. People want the Moselec fired. All those different things. But the Reds started off so well. And they, 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 they climbed up even after the struggles and were able to surpass the Padres, which I think is something not a lot of teams, not a lot of people thought that anybody was going to be able to do back in April. The Padres and Dodgers were going to be the two wild card spots. And now we don't know. It could be the Reds, could be the Cardinals, could even be the Mets if they decide to start playing baseball again. Who knows? But I think that the Reds, because they were able to climb so far back with this group that they kind of kind of banked on with, with Castellanos and Envato and you know Suarez has struggled, but India as well. I think the Reds missing the playoffs would be a big disappointment. And in my opinion, if you, the if the Reds don't make the playoffs, Castellanos opt out looks more and more uh, likely like it's going to happen. Both would be huge disappointments. What are your thoughts? You mentioned it, and it's going to sound overly biased, but definitely the Reds. Uh, Last season, when they made that crazy run and they made the playoffs, we thought, all right, this is the start of something. Yeah, 22 shutout innings sucked, but this is the start of something beautiful. They're going to be a competitive team. And then in the offseason, they didn't do anything. In fact, they did worse than anything. They got rid of 
their two most important bullpen pitchers. So now you're like, all right, what message are you trying to send to this fan base? And they start off so well. They go 6-1 and one to start the season, which is something they hadn't done in a couple of years. A couple of years, they put themselves behind the eight ball almost immediately in the month of April. So they start off really well. Then they kind of scuffle for a little bit. They're down. They're low. They're really low playoff chances in the month of May. And they come all the way back, and they take that second wild card spot. And they're doing it all with hitting. They're doing it all with some young pitching, some guys who are going to be around for a few years, except for that one guy that you mentioned, Nick Castellanos with him and the way that he has played so well all season long. He did have that injury that kept him out for a little while, but around that time away, he has been phenomenal on the field and a great dude for this community. If he is the kind of guy that stays for the next two years, he is easily a fan favorite. He is easily going to be etched into the memory of Reds fans forever, but there's a huge chance that he leaves and he's not a part of the Reds next season. And so if you couple the fact they miss the playoffs and that happens, the morale of Reds fans is going to go right back to where it was circa 2015 through 2018 when all we heard from this ownership group and from the front office was, bear with us, stay with us. We're going to be bad, but we're going to be good soon. Good in a couple years, we're bad now. What is good? Good is the playoffs, right? Good is making yeah. the playoffs. Good is winning in the playoffs. Good is moving through the playoffs. Having not done that last year and having missed the playoffs this year, if, you know, in this scenario, the Reds do miss the yeah. playoffs, then we are going to go into the offseason just staring at a wall like, man, we got Hunter Green and Nick Ladello coming up for the pitching staff next year. And we got Jose Barrero probably going to take the reins of the everyday shortstop. But there are as many questions as there are things to be excited about. And it's going to be a little bit of a gloomy time, I think. So I'm really, really hoping that they don't miss this because they miss the playoffs. It's going to be hard to sit here and say, yeah, but they had a winning record. That that was yeah. fun, right? Remember that? That was fun. Yeah, definitely would be a bit of a bit of a disappointment to say the least. But we got a couple more questions, not not to race through, but to get through here. Uh, this one comes from Matt Matthew Hunter one one two eight on Instagram. Thoughts on the wild card race, which we kind of give a lot of our thoughts on. But a quick thought on the Yachty fight years ago. I'm assuming this is referencing the Brandon Phillips fight a few years ago. Um, and I think that you know, I think that we we might have talked about this yesterday. I think or somebody recently, Yachty and Maynard, I think the only two players on the team with the Cardinals that have been on that fight and Vado on the Reds. But I think that at least from a fan perspective, that that fight's still to this day irks me. And I still not am a huge Brandon Phillips fan to this day. I saw him bat flipping on Twitter the other day at 40 years old playing in a league. Good for him, but still annoyed me a little bit. This fight, (laughs) and I was 10 years old when this fight happened. So, you know, maybe I don't have everything memorized, but I remember Brandon Phillips being the antagonizer in that fight. And I remember the, you know, ending a career of a Cardinal. So to me, that that fight still means a lot. And one that from a fan perspective is very, very dissatisfying. Yeah, I, um, it's funny because, yeah, before we talk about the wild card race, um, that, that fight, I was there. I was sitting in the mezzanine oh, down the left nice. field line. Yeah. And I remember because it was about 900 degrees with a thousand percent humidity, you know, you're sitting up there in the sun and all that stuff. And so you're like, okay, I'm thinking about going and getting something to drink here. And I turn around to get up. And then all of a sudden I hear like people start shouting. I turn around and they're like, oh man, I couldn't believe it. And and you're pushing up against the, the fence. You got Johnny Cueto kicking with his cleats out and things like that. And if you want to know the effects of it today, uh, listen to a Yadier Molina at bat. 
at right. Great American Ballpark. As mm-hmm. soon as he comes up and as soon as he leaves the dugout, it is an obligation. Every single Reds fan knows if you're wearing a C on the on the uh, cap of your hat or whatever, or if you're wearing a T-shirt that has a Reds logo on it, you're booing Yadier Molina. It's just the way that it goes. And I still look back on that and I say, yes, Brandon Phillips did instigate that fight, but it doesn't make <laughs> me like Yadier Molina anymore. No, and I was yeah. thinking about this the other day. Um, I know that it was announced that next year is going to be like his farewell tour. Mm-hmm. And uh, if the Reds were to get him a gift, I was like, ooh, this should be like a white elephant gift. This should be like they give him a Lexington Legends Brandon Phillips jersey signed. Yeah. Like, and maybe Brandon <laughs> Phillips hands it to him. I, I don't know. Like, I, that would probably be a little bit too much. have malicious, a fight but, on our hands if that happens. <laughs> yeah, the bench is clear again, and it's not it's even a guy who's on the roster. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but no, it's, it, it's still a thing that is etched in my memory. And I know, because like, I think of the Pirates now, and I don't, I don't dislike the Pirates. It's because you know Clint Hurdle's not there, um, Chris Archer's not there. You don't have those guys that were all a part of all of those fights between right. the Reds and the Pirates. And I think once Yadier Molina goes away, my thoughts on the Cardinals become, yeah, they're rivals, but I don't like hate the Cardinals or anything like that. Well, the other another player on that team for the Cardinal standpoint, Adam Wainwright might pitch till he's fifty, so he might be dealing with him for, for years. True. To um, but the Walker race, we've given our thoughts on it here, here and there. But I, I think that it's going to come down to my opinion, Dodgers, and then real quickly, my three teams are uh, Padres, Cardinals, and Reds. I don't see anybody else really making a significant push. Do you? No, I, I know that the Phillies are still kind of hanging around there, but I think that they would catch the Braves before they would catch the wild card. I yeah, think that's how, I, I have, that's how bad the NL East is. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. No wonder Mets players are booing Mets fans because um, yeah, everybody's booing everybody in the AL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody's booing everybody in the NL East. There. <laughs> All right, uh, this is a question for you from Shane Dunk twenty uh, on Instagram. What do the Reds need to do going into next year? In my opinion, it's going to be shortstop, but I'll let you quickly answer that one. The nice thing is they've got one in the wings, and I think that they're going to officially hand him the keys. It's weird that they brought him up and didn't give him more playing time that they did, and then they sent him right back down in Jose Barrero. I think that shortstop is currently in the system. The thing that I want to see them do is more depth, more because David Bell loves playing the matchups, and for some reason they built a roster that's not really good with matchups. Uh, I mean, that's why they struggle so much with left-handed pitching, and that's why they don't really have a trustworthy left-handed reliever. I think lefty reliever needs to be very high on their list, uh, maybe figuring out if they are going to bring up Hunter Green and Nick Lodello and what they do with Wade Miley's uh, option. I, I think the most important thing for them, obviously, is Nick Castellanos. And then other than that, I'm looking at bullpen and I'm looking at uh, just overall depth of the bench because they've just done so much with bringing up, sending down, bringing up, sending down, whether it's Scott Heineman earlier this year, um, whether it's, and there was a guy that he just slipped my memory, but he was terrible too, and they kept bringing him up and sending him down. No, no, Hoffman, it's it's weird because Hoffman's actually not terrible out of the bullpen here recently. I don't know what's up with that, but I don't want them to like, hand him the keys to whatever spot because he's been good in low leverage situations, not really high leverage stuff. But for much of the year, they've been giving a lot of innings to guys like CNL Perez and Carson Fulmer and, and, and guys that at the beginning of the year, shout out to this t-shirt that I'm wearing Spincinnati. That was like this whole thing that they came up with in spring training. They're like, we've got a new way of thinking about pitching and we're going to attack it with this philosophy. And it just didn't, 
work because at the end of the day, you need talent. And if you're trying to win without talent, it's going to be really, really hard. So you need to just acquire depth this off season and got to make sure Nick Castellanos is still a red next season. Yeah, I think it's a tall laundry list of things for the Reds, especially if they don't make the playoffs. And they've got, you know, one would think, and it's that would push the management's uh, button uh, or, you know, push management to, to do something. But real quick, before we get out of here, no, we're running a little bit long. What will Joey Votto and Paul Goldschmidt talk about at first base? I think you have two kind of polar opposite guys here in terms of personality, both very hard workers, both very good baseball players. Fine. Joey Votto talks probably a little bit more than Paul Goldschmidt oh, yeah. does. So whenever Paul Goldschmidt singles, which he usually is hitting doubles or home runs, uh, no big deal there. But um, when he does single or when Joey Votto gets a walk, because he does that all the time, since you asked it, I'll give you a chance to answer first. What do you think they talk about at first base? I think it's got to be something completely random because I don't think either <laughs> one is talking about the game of base. I mean, they probably talk shop a little bit, but for the most part, both of their careers have completely just gone against each other at every angle. Like you're talking about silver slugger first base. You're talking about MVP races, different things like that. So if they're talking shop, they're probably trying to mess each other up. Like, you know, when I come up to the bat, I really, I, I got to have my spearmint gum. If I don't have my spearmint <laughs> gum, then it's really not going to be a good at bat for me. But other than that, I think they probably talk about vacation destinations. And I think that they're both mountain guys over um, beach guys. I don't think yeah. either one's a beach guy. So they're probably yeah. talking about the Appalachian Mountains, maybe somewhere they could go in West Virginia. Um like <laughs> you know, I don't know. I I think it's I think it's funny, whatever it is, because and in case any Cardinals fan hasn't seen, there's this great article in The Athletic a couple of months ago just talking about what Joey Votto is off the field. And there's a lot of examples from opposing players so much as there are from teammates and just different stories that were about him. And it's hilarious. Like one of his favorite things, just an example from this article, one of his favorite things to do is mop at home. He loves Mop. mopping. Huh. Joey Mappo. Joey. <laughs> That's why I think that if I were had to guess, it would be Joey Votto asking some elaborate, deep question with like no real answer to it. And Paul Goldschmidt giving like a one phrase answer to it. <laughs> like it's expected to be this huge, <laughs> yeah. long, funny story. And Paul Goldschmidt's like, yeah, this is why. And that was it. You know, I'm sure Paul Goldschmidt's a great teammate. I'm not trying to say anything bad about that type of that type of answer, but it's just so different. Those two guys are so different. In all honesty, though, I would like to have a serious conversation with both of them about the, the sport of hitting because they're both yes. incredible at it, whether they're, they're doing their speed rent gum or whether they're trying to get their bottom hand <laughs> in or something. I'm sure that they're incredible, um, incredible conversation to have about hitting, whatever they're talking about. Um, they don't talk about it for very long because neither one of them stand at first base for too long. Well, we've gone a little bit long on today's episode, but it's always a good time with Jeff. This was part two. If you missed part one and you want to see how right or wrong Jeff and I were, head over to both of our YouTube pages, Locked on Cardinals and Locked on Reds, or on your favorite podcasting platform. It's all the time, and it's always free on all your of your favorite platforms. Jeff, this was fun. You, you still think we're going to take two out of three this week? I still, I, I still think they can simply because they got Wade Miley going tomorrow. I love me some Wade Miley, and I think they're going to beat Michaelis tonight. 
Yeah, I, I still it, even with the game one win, it's going to be a tall task for me for the Cardinals to take two out of three. But if they do, it sets them up nicely for September. So you can follow Jeff Carr on Twitter right there at Jeff Carr with three S. Follow me on Twitter at LJ Fastball for all your Cardinals coverage. And be sure, yeah, make sure we get the right point this time. I never get that, that right. Like yeah, that, right that, that's the one. All right. Well, <laughs> that'll do it for today. Go Cardinals and uh, hope the Reds lose. Uh, but and nevertheless, it'll be fun. And be sure to stay Reds. safe, stay well, and have a fantastic rest of the day.